Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. Hey, I, I want to talk about turning the tables. And uh, we're just going to take a few minutes today. We will go back into worship in about 25 minutes, but I just want to unpack why this word matters to me. And I want to submit it to you. It comes out of a portion of Scripture in the Gospel of Mark, which is an account of Jesus' life and ministry. In Mark chapter 11, verse 15 to 17, this is what it says. And I want to encourage you to hear this, not just with your ears, but with your heart. It says, they, can you say they? they. Say it like you mean it, they. They, they came to Jerusalem. It's talking about Jesus and those that were travelling with Him. That the reality was that Jesus was a local church in His own right. That as He ministered from village to village to village, He had people with Him ministering on His behalf wherever He went. And as He's preparing to land the plane, so to speak, of His earthly ministry, He enters into Jerusalem for the last time. He's been welcomed like a king, which He is. And He goes about setting up the scene for what would ultimately result in His death, His burial and His resurrection. And as Him and those with Him enter into the epicentre of their world at that time, the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, says they came to Jerusalem and He, Jesus, went into the temple. Before I go on, I just got to highlight for, for us in our culture that maybe we lose sight of the importance of a statement like that, that Jesus went to the most significant epicentre of the region, Jerusalem, the most influential place, but He didn't stop there. He didn't go into the most influential place alone. He went into the most influential spot, that place. He went into the heart of Jerusalem by going into the temple. And I know for us it's different. We, we, we see things like churches nowadays, but the temple in the time of Jesus was the heartbeat of everything that it meant to follow God. It was the epicentre of meeting with God. It was so important and so valuable that people prioritised being able to set foot in the temple like nothing else. That they, they desperately would make pilgrimages from their hometowns to come in many at least once a year so that they could enter into the temple courts for themselves as a way of living out their faith. It was vital. It was the heartbeat of everything that they were. It's like when you see footage about different cities around the world, you sort of see different landmarks that sort of identify the heartbeat of each city. You see the Opera House with Sydney, you see the MCG with Melbourne. And with us here in Rockingham, I don't know, sometimes you see that weird rock that spins down at the foreshore. Have you seen that before? I don't know. Like landmarks take on the heartbeat of the city, but with Jerusalem, it was the temple. The temple was the meeting place of God with His people. So why wouldn't Jesus, as He walks into Jerusalem, as He's preparing to land the plane of His ministry, enter into the temple, but what takes place next challenges me. They came to Jerusalem and He, Jesus, went into the temple. Notice He didn't just walk around the edges. Notice He didn't look from the outside in. He placed Himself within it. 
And he began to throw out those buying and selling. Huh? He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. In the time of Jesus, it was common that you would go to the temple to meet with God. And one of the things that you would do if that was part of your your birthright as somebody who was born into the promises of God, if you were an Israelite by birth, that you had been destined to live for God and live with Him, that you would go to the temple and you would conduct your sacrifices. And in fact, it was necessary for you to maintain a right relationship with God, to come and offer sacrifices on behalf of yourself and those that you love. And so if you came in on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, it was normal practice for generations upon generations while the temple stood for you to come in with something. You didn't come in empty handed. You came in carrying sacrifices. And what was normal is as you walked your way through Jerusalem, there were little sections of the city that were set up as markets and uh, bazaars. They were places where you could buy and sell the things that you needed to conduct worship in a way that made a difference, not just in your heart, but on behalf of others. And that was normal for generations upon generations. But it's flipped during the time of Jesus. It's interesting, during the time of Jesus, it stopped being called the temple alone. It was called Herod's temple. Herod was the king of that region and he had done a facelift. But the facelift had attempted to tear the heart out of the temple. And one of the changes that had come in with a corrupt priesthood at that time was instead of having the marketplaces outside of the temple so that you could easily interact and choose what you wanted, they wanted to monopolise the opportunity. And so as you walked into the temple, you were bombarded straight away as soon as you entered into what they called the court of the Gentiles with the opportunities to buy your sacrifices. Instead of getting them out of the temple and bringing them in, no, 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 don't do that anymore. No, 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 no. We have our own people there. We've made it convenient for you. Don't come into the temple prepared. Let us prepare you. And they would walk into the temple and there was this section. The temple had different sections and there was parts of it for different things. There was the Holy of Holies where the high priest could only go once a year to do the sacrifices on behalf of everybody. There was the inner sanctuary that was destined and, and, and designed so that the priests could minister on behalf of the nation. But there was this, this outer area called the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. And I know that's, that's not a word we say in conversation very often, Gentile, Gentile, Gentile. But if you read the Bible, it's a word that pops up a lot. And the word Gentile is simply meant for anybody who was not born an Israelite. Somebody who does not come from the original family that God had destined to create a nation out of. And the importance is that the court of the Gentiles with the temple was meant to be open so that anybody no matter where they came from, no matter their background, no matter what country of origin, family of origin, background, could enter in and have a place to worship God for themselves. 
But it's interesting during the time of Jesus, that place, that place that was meant for others, not those on the inside already, but those on the outside looking to come in, was now filled up with tables and chairs of people selling things so that people could worship God. There was no room for those that really needed it. They were pushed to the outside, stuck looking in. And it's interesting that Jesus, when He walks into the temple, He gets ticked. Jesus is not meek and mild. He is righteous and strong. And out of His conviction, He can't tolerate this. And He starts turning tables. It's a shocking account of the reality that can even happen, not just then, but in us today. Do you know that elsewhere in the Scriptures, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. What price was that? The death, burial, resurrection, ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think of yourself so lowly. You are worth everything that God Himself would pay the price that you could never pay so you could live free in Him. Come on, don't live so low. When you walk in this building, stop seeing yourself as a slave to the world around you. You're called to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords who doesn't make you anything less than somebody who's called to rule and reign in life with Him. See, Jesus invites us to His level. But He does that because He's made us a temple. Verse 20 says, For you were bought at a price so glorify God with your body. So Jesus turns the tables of the city of Jerusalem and His temple And I think that His work by His Spirit today is still looking to turn the tables in our hearts. I just want the opportunity just to break down what difference does it make for us that Jesus turned the tables in the temple in Jerusalem in light of the fact that He wants to turn the tables in our own hearts. If you'd allow me, I want to submit to us today what each of those things break down, the money changes, the doves, the fact that they carried goods, the table, and the fact that we're called to be a house of prayer. It says that he walked into the temple and he sees the money changers in position. See, the money changers were the people who were positioned there for the rate of exchange. See, the rule was that you couldn't buy anything that you wanted to sacrifice to God with a Roman coin. See, the Romans ruled the world at that time and their coins had the image of their emperors, their Caesars on the back. And in the culture of the day, the Jews would not accept that as currency for the temple because they saw it as a form of worship. Because the truth is people would worship the emperor as God and they refused to receive that money because they saw it as a corrupt system. And so all throughout Jerusalem was set up money changes to change the money that was corrupt into the money that was acceptable, money that was dedicated to God. And these money changes, many of them were genuine, honest people seeking to serve others and love others by providing a service to help them get closer to God. So you could bring your corrupt money and a money changer would serve on your behalf by taking that money and giving you a fair exchange. 
for money that you could use for worship. And it was healthy practices set up over generations. But in the time of Jesus, it had lost its way. Because the money changers in the temple were the ones that took the position to put value themselves on the things that God had already put value on. And they would take the money given and give an unfair exchange. If Jesus wants to turn the tables in our heart today, here's one thing that I wanna challenge us. What are we looking to, to provide value to our lives? Because if you look at the wrong, the money changers in position that are simply seeking to take from you and give you back less than you give, you are always going to lose out. You will live a life of lack and loss because in the exchange, it's not meant to be a loss, it's meant to be a blessing. And when we look at the wrong types of money changes, the wrong types of exchange, we lose our way. See, the truth is the money changes are meant to serve and love people. Do you know it's impossible, according to Jesus, to live a life that honours Him unless you first love God with everything you have and then out of that love people like you love yourself. And that's lost in us today. Where it's so easy for us to cancel and criticise and throw from a distance and just dig and dig and dig instead of choosing to enter in and look people in the eyes and, and connect with the heart and say, let's set up a divine exchange where I'll do whatever I can to build you up instead of taking from you, taking from you, taking from you. Because my life is not built on robbing you. It's built on building you up. Jesus is looking to kick the money changers out of your heart to kick those influences, whether they be evil and unclean spirits or the voices of others or the lies that we tolerate, that exchange our lies and cause us to live in lack with everything. Allow Him to boot those things out. You know, I, my second job was at McDonald's. My first job I got fired from, it was at IGA. I was the worst checkout chick ever. But my second job at McDonald's changed me, partially because some of the different people I got to get exposed to and interact with. And there was a manager when I was just there, I was 14 and nine months old. I was filled with acne. I, I hardly combed my hair. I, I stank of the surf most of the time. And, 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 and there was this manager that I really looked up to, Rob Baker, who was a, a, almost like a famous person in our town. He had been a local butcher for years and years and years. And when McDonald's decided to open up in our town, he was one of those people to get the job there, a prize position, one of the first six managers. It was amazing. There's not much to look up to, but it was amazing at the time. And everybody loved Rob. Everybody loved Rob. It was so much so that whenever Rob was on shift, it's almost like the restaurant went to a whole new level. It's like it tapped into the potential that was available. You could really tell when he wasn't there because we lived so low. And Rob's key was, this was his key. And I remember thinking this was so sneaky. He'd have customers come in through drive-through and he'd always be the one there to greet them at the window. He always made a chance to take people by the hand and look them in the eye and he remembered names and he remembered people and he genuinely loved those around him. So much so that if you went through drive-through and Rob was so inclined and you ordered a meal, he may give you an extra cheeseburger and just tell you to keep that hush-hush. <laughs> if you ordered a 
At the time, it was a 30 cent ice cream cone and you were expecting this much. Maybe he'd triple it on you and tell you to balance that out the door. See, Rob's key is that he was generous. There was this lady who would come in. She lived in the houses behind the restaurant and she had difficulties remembering her name and she'd come in with the most doled up makeup I've ever seen and little stuffed animals that she named. And what would happen is, is when she would walk into the restaurant, Rob would see her straight away and make a beeline for her and he would treat her like royalty. And I know for a fact that wherever this lady went in town, people couldn't wait to push her out. As soon as he saw her, how you doing, darling? Oh, you look beautiful today. Who's your friend? And he would usher her to a, a seat that he had had ready for her, which was next to the counter that nobody else was allowed to sit in when she came in. He would even ask people if they were willing to give the seat to her because he'd say, here's, here's my princess, she's, she's come in, I need to give her. And he would sit her down and he would ask her, what would you like today? And every day it was the same thing. Back then it was $2 for a cheeseburger and she would buy one cheeseburger, but that's not what she got. She'd get a plate of food almost like a gourmet meal. Rob would go out personally and cook it, place everything on, the lettuce and the cheese and the onion and the meat and bacon. And and it was like a five course meal at McDonald's. And he'd come out and he'd present it to her and he would do this every time she came in, which was multiple times a week. And here's what I learned from Rob Baker, that the way that we choose to love one another not only changes the people that we love, it changes us. Because Rob found joy in everything that he did. Because he carried a heart where he wasn't looking to be a money changer, to use people for his own advantage. He was looking to give an exchange of value where people would come in and he would honour them and exchange that by honouring them even more. And I wonder if, if we are really temples of the Holy Spirit, if we really are. I wonder if Jesus wants to kick out those elements that we tolerate within ourselves where we want to use things or people for our own advantage. And I wonder if He wants to flip it on its head and say, you're called to give. And I wonder if that is a revolution. It's not just money changes He kicked out. It says that He told those that were selling doves and stopped them and turned their chairs over. Why, why, why those selling doves? See, in the culture of the day, you'd bring different things to worship God. And the deal was the doves was the bare minimum. See, you, you, there was almost a hierarchy of things that you could bring into worship and to sacrifice. And it seemed like the doves in the culture of the day was the basic bare minimum. It was the no sweat option. And it's not lost on me that Jesus walks into the temple and He finds people selling doves. I wonder if that was the main source there. I wonder if this whole system of sale in the temple wasn't built around really worshipping God with everything we've got. It was built around just do the bare minimum. Just do the basic. Just do, just, uh, it's good that you're here. Hey, hey, it's great that you've shown up in the temple today. Yeah, oh, you, you, you've only got the bare minimum. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you did that last week. You did that the week before. Yeah, just, just keep doing that. And that, that, she'll be right, mate. She'll be right. She'll be right. She'll be right. She's not right because you don't grow. 
See, if you live life giving the bare minimum, you rob yourself of the opportunity to grow. See, if you're working out in the gym and all you did was the same thing over and over again, don't break a sweat. Well, you can do 10 curls with the barbell. Yeah, yeah, just do that and nothing else. Time after time after time, you will not see any change. You'll be able to say to people, I go to the gym, yeah, I lift weights. But if it's the bare minimum time after time after time, there will be no discernible difference on the investment you've given. And I wonder if Jesus is looking to turn the tables of our heart, if He would invite us to live a life not at the bare minimum, but the best we can, the stretch. I know that's a challenging thought. For some of us, maybe we've been seeking God just a little bit. What if you start to up that now? What if you're not seeking God and you choose from this week forward to say, at the very least, I'm going to dedicate my days. At the very least, I'm going to pray before I go into the office or start work or pick up tools. What if at the very least, if you're doing nothing, you start doing something? And what if you do that something over time and then that something gives to something more? That you started dedicating your day and then you start saying, well, you know what? I've got time at my lunch break maybe to take a five minute moment just to quiet my heart and see God. What if you take something and add to that something and it becomes more? And what if that more turns into something amazing that changes you from the inside out? All of a sudden a desire in your heart happens because you've been renovated from the inside out. You say, I can't help but worship God. What if the stretch is what grows us? And what if living life at the bare minimum is what robs us of who we're called to be? Jesus is turning tables. It says here in that portion of Scripture in Mark 11, verse 16, that Jesus would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. So it seems that during the time of Jesus, the temple had become a way through point, a hallway from different parts of the city. Like if you wanted to take a shortcut, you wouldn't go around the temple you just walk straight through it. And Jesus saw that and forbade it. This speaks to me how Jesus challenges us not to devalue the holy and make it mundane. How dare we take what God has designated as holy and treat it like it's nothing more than a point to pass through. Your faith is not a way station. Your faith It's not simply a thing that you pass through to get to something else. Your faith is what changes you along the way. We must value the fact that the Holy Spirit Himself wants to live in you. That you are a temple. That you are not just going from point A to point B. You are living your life, hopefully transformed by the Holy Spirit along the way. I'm challenged, there's a portion of Scripture in John 1, 37 to 39, At the beginning of Jesus' ministry where people are noticing this guy called Jesus and they start doing ridiculous things. They start leaving the old behind to choose to follow Him. He must have been so captivating in who He is and who He's called them to be that they were willing to leave it all behind. And it says this, The two disciples heard Him say this and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following Him, 
He asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And it seems like a good question to ask. Jesus, just tell us where to go. Jesus, we're on the edge of following You. Will You tell us what to do? Will You tell us how to get there? Will You just give us the destination? It's, it's all so confusing. Jesus, will You be our Google Maps? Can we, can we just key into You, Jesus? Will You get us from point A to point B? Can we pass through You like they pass through the temple? Can we use You, Jesus, to get to where we want to go? But that's not how Jesus works. At the beginning of His ministry, this is how He works. This is what He says in verse 39. It's blinking, you'll miss it. He says to them, not a destination. He doesn't tell them where He's staying. He doesn't say, I'm staying around the corner at this great Airbnb. No, He says, He says, He says, come and see. Come and you'll see, He replied. So they went and saw where He was staying and they stayed with Him that day. It's about four in the afternoon. Jesus doesn't give us a destination. He gives us a journey. He invites us to join with Him along the way. He's not a way station that we pass through to get to what we want. What, what it is, is what we really want is to be changed by Him and transformed from the inside out. And we do that by choosing to follow Him, not to a set place. Lord, you've got to take me here. If you don't take me here, I'm going to abandon you. That's not how He works. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And He invites us, every single one of us, as living, breathing temples of the Holy Spirit, come and see for yourself. Come and you can experience. Come and you can encounter God. Come and you can live it. Come and you can be it. Come, don't just watch. Don't be a spectator in life. Be one who's intricately involved. You are a temple. Stop passing through life and embrace the holy moments in the midst of it all. Almost there, finally, He turns the tables. And this is important for me. He turns the tables. I was tempted to get a table up here and turn it, but that would have been way too noisy, and disruptive. And it, plus I was worried about breaking the table. He turned those tables. So it wasn't enough for Jesus to get the money changers out. It wasn't enough to those selling the bare minimum. It wasn't enough to stop those using the temple as a way station. He turns the tables over. Why? Because that part of the temple was meant for people who are outside the Kingdom of God to encounter God for themselves. It was the court of the Gentiles. It was a place destined so that those that were passing on the outside weren't simply now those looking in, they could become those on the inside. The temple was meant to be open for them to enter in. It was meant to be open for them to be a part of. Instead of feeling like they're separated and cut off. And the crisis of the days of Jesus was that that place in the temple became filled with junk and stuff and things that crowded out the room so that they couldn't get in there to seek God themselves. I wonder if you and I are temples of the Holy Spirit if one of the most important things we have to do in our hearts is turn the tables, remove the junk that gets in the way, that hinders and harms us from encountering God for ourselves. I wonder if Jesus is still in the business of turning tables today. Jesus turns the tables 
Mark 11, 15, 17. In light of everything we're unpacked, I want you to hear this again. They came to Jerusalem and He went into the temple and He began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And He would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus grabs hold of a scripture that comes out of Isaiah chapter 56 that I want to close with today, where he says that the temple was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations, open, 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 open. And he contrasts it with the fact that they at that time have turned it into a den of thieves. Then what is that? What is a den of thieves? It's a place where thieves go to hide, to hide in their injustice, to hide retribution. And Jesus challenges them, instead of making this place a meeting place of heaven and on earth, you've turned it into a place where you hide from God. And here's the thing I wanna say to you and I today, for however long we've chosen to follow Jesus for, we are temples. And if we're not careful, if we allow the money changers in and if we live by the bare minimum, if we tolerate the junk that seeks to enter into our hearts, here's what'll happen. We'll turn these things, the temples of ourselves into a place where we hide from God. You know, it's possible to sit in church, but be hiding from God. You know, it's possible to read the Bible and not be open at all to what God is saying. It's possible to go through the motions and miss the one who puts things in motion. And what if today He wants to speak to you to turn this place of hiding into a place of intimacy? It's a place of prayer. See, prayer is a place of intimacy. Prayer is the idea that you, you individually, you individually, and then all of us corporately can connect directly with the Creator of all things. You are a house of prayer. You are a meeting place of the divine with the temporary and He takes what's temporary and He makes it into something eternal. So I want you to hear this, hear this. This whole portion of Scripture that Jesus draws from, from the book of Isaiah, comes out of Isaiah chapter 56. It was written generations and generations and generations before Jesus was in the temple because He was cleansing it so it would become a house of prayer. And here's the heartbreaking thing I've got to say to you. I mean, I wasn't present when Jesus did this, but I know He went into the temple, He did this. I can just about guarantee you the next day, everything was set up the way it was as if He had never been there. I reckon the money changers came back. I reckon the sellers of the bare minimum came back. I reckon those people using the temple as a way through zone came back. But we don't have to live like that ourselves. We can choose to enter into the things of God and be changed for eternity. How? Become a house of prayer. This is what Jesus drew on in Isaiah 56. Listen to this. This is the heart of God for His people. I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. As for the foreigners, the outsiders, the ones who are looking in, the ones who feel like there's no place for belonging. As for the foreigners, 
who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the Name of the Lord and to become His servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the declaration of the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I will gather to them still others beside those already gathered. You are a temple. You are a house of prayer. And what if out of you, God is gathering others to encounter Him? What if as each of us live life as temples that have been cleansed by Jesus with the tables turned, become so magnetic with the presence of God that it can't help but draw others to Him? What if you are the house of prayer? What if as you go about your day to day, what if when you're in your car feeling anxious about the day ahead and you dedicate it to the Lord, you become a house of prayer? And what if out of that, God does amazing things that draw even others to Himself? What if you're not living just for yourself? What if you're living for those who are yet to encounter God? What if as you break through, you cause others to break through behind you? What if as you're obedient to the things of God, you lead others to freedom? What if you're a house of God? Church, we have to turn the tables. We have to turn the tables of the world around us. If we, we are either being formed into the image of Christ or deformed into the image of the world around us. There's no in between. I'm sorry. You can't stand still with the bare minimum. You will regress and go backwards. You're called to be on the mountaintops with Jesus. You're called to be above and not beneath. You are called to be the most magnificent temple in all creation. You are a holy ground with the Spirit of the living God within you. And stop thinking of yourself so low that you allow the money changers to exchange your worth for nothing. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.